award show, <clears throat> right? And everybody gets to vote, and then we have some kind of ceremony at the end of the year for the best promo video <clears throat> that we've seen. And um, that definitely is going to be, I mean, that's the winner in my book right now. So... Uh, That's one of the winners in my book right now. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know what I need to say about our youth minister sleeping in her car. So I'm going to have to think about Your parents would be so proud. If only they could see how far you've made it, you know, sleeping in your car. Uh, well, just we have a couple more family news items to uh, share with you before we uh, dive into the Word of God today. Uh, the next one is we've made this transition from PushPay to Breeze as our giving platform, but I need to remind you that we're making the transition from Church Community Builder to Breeze. So Breeze is an all-in-one platform, um, and so uh, that's how we're going to manage things from now. In fact, you need to know that Church Community Builder is going away, will no longer be available as of October 1st. So if you have not already received an invitation for the, uh, uh, to be part of it, and this again, it's separate from the giving but connected, so you need to check your email. We sent a bunch of emails out again on Friday for those of you who have not yet accepted the invitation. Hey, maybe we should send e you know, invites out for other, like, accept Jesus as your Savior email invitations too. That's a good idea. Let's run with that. So, Check your email, check your spam box, because this is going to be the way that we uh, get to the church directory, that we uh, have life together, share life together. You can download their app, make sure it has that B, and, uh, or you can go into our website once you've signed up, and then you can log in. And, and uh, all that to say, Deb, be prepared for a ton of calls tomorrow on Monday. I want to remind you that our Practicing the Way groups have begun, and those of you who are participating in that, you know what a blessing it has been already. Even if you have not signed up for a group, you can still embark upon the journey. Uh, you can watch the videos. You can be part of that on your own. You can talk about that in your own family. So don't think that just because you're not in one of these groups. In fact, I heard somebody last week when we were asking about, what do you think about practicing the way? Their response was, well, I thought this is what we were supposed to be doing all along. <laughs> and that's so true, isn't it? So uh, you have an opportunity on your own uh, to watch the videos and to be encouraged and to be blessed uh, by some really good teaching and uh, drawing us close to the heart of the Father. And then finally, we have a praise and play time that we make available uh, for uh, children who are birthed through pre-K. So if you want to be part of that, we, uh, uh, you can be, uh, follow uh, Miss uh, the white-haired Amy on her way out uh, right now and be part of that. All right, this is going to be a great risk. So, uh, church family, are you ready to practice our new theme song? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the song that we learned last week, and I'm not sure that I have it totally down, so I'm going to turn my microphone off, okay, just to make sure, but I think I've got it, so here we go.
You're beautiful. Oops, you made a mistake. You're beautiful to me. Of that. I mean, that was such a powerful uh, takeaway uh, for us from last week. See, because we're in a series in the book of Titus, and we're looking at the way that grace operates in our lives, the way that grace works in our lives. And there are these two sections of Scripture that I've been telling you about in Titus that are these really long sentences, and, and, and the early church used them as part of spiritual formation and part of instruction. Now, we've already finished up the first section of Scripture, which is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. So, the conversation that Jeremy and Alicia and I had last week, uh, that was our way of bringing an end to that conversation. Now, we still have the second part to go, the second section, which is Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Now, um, I'm planning on taking some time off in October So what I want to do is I want to wait and get into that second section of Scripture when I come back from my time off. Um, And so what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is we're going to learn, still from Titus, how are we to process or work through when we come across a section of Scripture like this that, that, that even though, you know, it's, it's, it's a comprehensive doctrine, it's got a lot in it, it's, but it's very complex. I mean, there, there's a lot going on in there. And I, and I got to thinking about when we come across Bible Scripture, when we come across Scriptures, these sections in the Bible that are maybe challenging, maybe there's, there's so much going on in there, how are we to, to process, to, to work through these, these complicated sections of Scripture? And, and so I thought about this. Well, it's, it's interesting because I noticed that at the end of each section that Paul makes a summary statement about what he has just said. And, and I got to looking at those two summary statements and I realized, wow, what he's doing here is he's showing us how to process through what we've just heard. But he's also showing us how to approach Scripture in general. So, for example, in Titus chapter 2, verses 15, after that first section that we've already discovered, he says to to Titus, "...declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you." So he's just given this section of Scripture that we've spent a few weeks looking through, and his summary statement about that is, "...declare these things." Declare these things. Make sure people know about what I've just said. And then the second scripture, which is the second section, Titus chapter 3, which is verses 4 through 7. Then you look at verse 8, and I looked at verse 8 and I thought, wow, that's incredible what he's really saying. See, Titus 3 verse 8 says, this teaching is true, and I want you to be sure that people understand these things then those who believe in God will be careful to use their lives for doing good. These things are good and will help everyone. I know, so just like a light bulb went off for me when I read that verse. And I thought, boy, there's some really good teaching in here of how we can approach Scripture in general. So I think there's at least four things. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the first two this week. And we'll look at the next two next week. 
These four things that Titus is being told by Paul is that when we come to a section of Scripture, any section of Scripture, that we need to approach them first as a truth to believe, secondly as a truth to contemplate, third as a truth to experience, and then fourth as a truth to practice. Let's pray. Father, would you be with us this morning as we open your word? Would you speak through your Holy Spirit to us that we can be encouraged as those who are trying to practice the way of Jesus? We pray through Christ. Amen. All right, let's look at the first one. This approach is not just of Titus, though it's a great part of this section, but I think it applies to Scripture in general. How do we approach scriptural Scripture in general? The first is that we approach it as a truth to believe. So look at what he says again, the first part of Titus chapter 3, verse 8. And so I underline for it you to say, this saying, this teaching is true. Other translations will say, this is trustworthy. This is trustworthy. This teaching is true. Now, because Scripture is the Word of God, we approach Scripture as the truth of God's Word. That's the first thing we have to understand when we come to Scripture, that because it is God's Word, it's truth. It is the truth of God's Word. So that's why you will hear whenever we read from Scripture that we'll say something like, the Word of the Lord, or this is God's Word. That's why we say that, uh, because we are trying to emphasize that these words are not ours, that these words come from God. It's a way of keeping in mind that the Bible contains the Word of God. Now, this doesn't negate the need to study, to establish context, to distinguish between translation and interpretation, to see the cultural effect that the words of the Bible have. It doesn't negate any of that. It simply means that we start from a starting point of truth. I mean, If we don't start any discussion about Scripture from a starting point of the truth of God's Word, it's difficult to have the right conversation. If we don't come to it that it is true as God's Word, then it's hard to have the right conversation. Have you ever been in one of those conversations where you're just, it's a very passionate and heated conversation, and you realize that the miscommunication you're having is due to a miscommunication? It's like you're in this heated, spirited conversation, and then suddenly you realize we are talking about two different things. We're talking about two different things. Now listen, I have a really good story of an example to explain this. This story is one of the best stories in the world. It happened to some friends of ours. They were sitting around a dinner table, and they were having a conversation. It is a great story, but I made the mistake of asking Beth if I could tell the story, and she said I couldn't because she's a lot smarter than I am. So here's what you have to do. You're going to have to laugh really hard, and then you're going to have to go, oh, hmm, I get it. Okay, ready? Let's go for the laughter. (laughs) Right? I know, right? Can you imagine? Okay, now for the deep, reflective, hmm. Man, I know. Boy. The Bible is a unified story. 
which is trying to tell us all that has gone wrong in the world and all that God is doing through Jesus Christ to make all things right. This is so amazing. The Bible is a unified story which tells us all that has gone wrong in the world and all that, Jesus, that God is doing through Jesus Christ to make all things right. Now, when you come to a complicated teaching in the Bible, when you come to a scripture that you don't understand, you have to first approach it from a position of truth. That it's true even when you don't understand it. That it's true even when you don't agree with it. It's true even when you can't explain it. Now, think about a tomato that's growing in your garden or should have already been growing in your garden. You know, a tomato grows in your garden whether or not you understand it, whether or not you agree with tomatoes, and whether or not you can explain how a tomato grows. It just does. I mean, I, I wanted to bring a, a garden tomato. You know, there's a reason, like, giveaways at church never include tomatoes. You know, there's a reason. They look under your chair, you'll find a juicy tomato, you know, because it just it's too tempting, right? It's just too tempting to, of course, not to eat it, but to launch it at the speaker, you know. It's way too tempting. That's why that never happens. But, but think about a fresh garden tomato. You know, this tiny seed goes into living soil, and it germinates, it sprouts, it grows, it produces fruit, it, it ripens, and you wait in, in anticipation for its deliciousness, and your, your mind is racing. Are you going to eat it right off the vine? Maybe with a little bit of salt? Are you going to get some, some basil and some mozzarella cheese and eat it that way? Are you going to make yourself a really fresh BLT sandwich? And you're, you're checking this tomato and you say, I'm going to give it one more day. And you go out the next day only to discover that a bird or a squirrel has beat you to it. A tomato does this. It grows whether or not you understand it, whether or not you explain it, even whether or not you agree with tomatoes. Paul is communicating this truth to Titus that what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, that the work of grace, the work of the Holy Spirit, which is not just to save us but to sanctify us, that that which the Holy Spirit does, it happens even if you don't understand how it happens. It happens even if you don't see how the Holy Spirit works. That it happens even if you can't explain how the Holy Spirit is doing this. That this is the work that God is doing because of His grace. This teaching is true. So the first thing we must do when we approach something like this, even as difficult as trying to understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our lives, we have to approach it as if it were true. Let's stand and sing about this truth.
seated. The second way that we approach Scripture is as a truth to contemplate, as a truth to contemplate. You look back in Titus chapter 3, verse 8, and he says, this is such a good thing. The teaching is true or trustworthy. I want you to be sure the people understand these things, understand these things. Uh, contemplation uh, is a difficult thing sometimes because just the word sounds weird. Contemplation is essentially the essential work which allows the biblical truth to seep into the soil of your heart. Contemplation is this essential work because we're relying on the work of the Holy Spirit and our work as learners. So you can think about it as heaven work and homework. With all apologies to those of you who still have homework to do for tomorrow, but get it done. So we have this heaven work, the the work that the Holy Spirit is doing, but we have this homework, the work that that we are doing. You know, you notice that when it comes to the work of salvation, there is no work to be done, but when it comes to the work of sanctification, we join with the Holy Spirit as co-workers in this process. So it's heaven work and it's homework that's occurring. Now, I'm not trying to be mystical or innovative when we invite the Holy Spirit to teach us. Not that there's anything wrong with being mystical or innovative. And the funny thing about saying a statement like that in church is that at least, you know, it affects everybody, right? You say the words mystical and innovative and and half of you are caught up into the third heaven trying to sort out your Shaka Khans and Shakiras and and the other half are rolling your eyes at the people who are, you know, caught up sorting out their Shaka Khans. When we talk about the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit is, is doing in our lives, and we invite the Holy Spirit to, to be part of this heaven work of sanctification, be part of this work to help us understand the, the deep truths of Scripture, we're simply, we're simply leaning into the reality of what Jesus is asking us to do. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is sent to teach us. And that's part of the way in which the Holy Spirit leads and guides us, is by teaching us. I mean, specifically, Jesus says that one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into all truth. Now, asking the Holy Spirit to do this is simply praying the reality of the promises of Jesus. One of the things that we're going to see as we get into the second sections of Titus, is the second section is in greater detail the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in regeneration and renewal of those who are saved. The Holy Spirit, we'll see, is a co-worker in our spiritual formation. Now, sometimes the most necessary thing that we need to do when it comes to Scripture is is contemplate. You can say meditate if you want. Think deeply on a particular truth. We're simply trying to give our brains the bandwidth to process what God is telling us. We're simply trying to create this space. We're trying to create this place so that the Holy Spirit can do the work that the Holy Spirit was sent to do for us. 
I've mentioned to you this before. I, I find this approach when it comes to contemplation especially helpful. It comes from the introduction of the Timothy Keller devotional book, The Songs of Jesus. And, and he talks about what contemplation is, and he says, essentially, contemplation is three things. First, in contemplation, we adore. And, and to, to put something more concrete to it, we're asking a specific question. What do you learn about God which you could praise or thank Him, right? So what, do you, what are you learning about God in this Scripture for which you could praise Him and thank Him? And then we admit, what do you learn about yourself with which, for which you need to repent? And then thirdly, aspire. What do you learn about life that you could aspire to ask for and act on? So I'm going to risk a little bit here this morning and be a little vulnerable because I'm going to show you how this works in my own life when it comes to a scripture like this. So um, in Titus chapter 2, for instance, this first section that we've been working through, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is God's word. Man, there's so much here. I feel like I could take another 12 weeks and just start over again and work back through this because of what it's saying But if I try to put contemplation into play in my own life, then I sit down and I say, okay, what do I read here that I first approach as your truth, God? It's your truth. So what am I reading? What do I learn about you, God, that I can praise you for and that I can thank you for? So I try to process through that. I try to see what's going on in the text. And the very first thing that comes out to me is, God, I want to praise you and I want to thank you for Jesus. I mean, that's, that's the first thing I want to praise you for. I want to thank you, Lord. I want to thank you for Jesus, the person of Jesus, the Jesus who is with us, the, the God who is in the flesh. I want to praise you that he has appeared, that he is your epiphany, that he is your great idea, that he's your great appearing, that he's bringing me salvation. I mean, listen, I'm thrilled that the rest of you are saved. But right now I want to be caught up in the wonder and the beauty that Jesus was given for me. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you for bringing him into this world, for bringing me salvation. But I don't stay there too long because then it just leads me to say, and God, I thank you that it's not just for me. That it's not just about me. I praise you and I thank you, Lord, how salvation is available to all people. Man, I hope that you see that, boy, I could, I could spend an entire week just right there. I could spend an entire week just right there. Thank you, God, for Jesus, for his appearing, for saving me. And for saving others as well. But, but we, can't just get, we can't just stop in one aspect of, of contemplation. 
contemplation that does its work in our heart as the Holy Spirit is working in us. It's moving us from this adoring God to admitting, okay, so what is there in this text that I read that I learn about myself that I need to repent? So I look at my life and I see just I see how frequently and how much ungodly worldly passions control me. I just see how much they compete. I mean, how just how much noise it brings into my life, those things that are of the flesh, those things that are of the world. And so I'm, I, but I come to this and I approach this from a basis of, God, you have saved me. You have saved me. And my, my story, my life story is, is one of someone who has delighted in self-righteousness. And so I'm thankful that I, I can see that I have these eyes, that my heart is still tender to see that how much of this stuff of the world still competes for my allegiance, still controls. And I hear your grace, Lord. I hear it calling me to a different way to live. That it's calling me not to earn your favor, that it's calling me not to earn your love. It's calling me to see the beauty of who you are. And so as Mallory says every week, we want to lean into this phrase that we say every single week. That we want as people who are trying to follow God, that we want what we do to be a response to the salvation that we've been freely given. But just like a door, you can't spend, you can't spend you know, your whole life and admit, right? I mean, at some point, adoration, it moves you to admitting, right? But you just can't spend your entire life there. Contemplation is seeking to move you through. And ultimately what contemplation actually does is it moves you back to adoration. It moves you back to praising God and thanking God. But then there's this third one we adore, we admit, we aspire. Oh man. What do you learn about life that you could aspire to ask for and act on? Well, for me, I want to be free. I want my heart to be free of the destruction and the devastation of the darkness which seeks to invade my heart. I want my heart to be, to be tone deaf to those influences of the world. Because what I want instead and what my aspiration is, what my desire is, I want to see that the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of God is so compelling. It's so compelling that what I seek is His face. What I want is His presence. What I trust in is His indwelling. That that's the voice that I want to hear above any other voice in this world. And this profound experience of the beauty of God, of grace of God, that's what changes our heart. Contemplation, it helps us work out the truth of truth. It really does. Contemplation is simply giving the Holy Spirit space, freedom, and permission to do the work that Jesus said it would do for us. Let's stand and make this song our prayer.
You may be seated. I think that we as a church and that we as a people would be profoundly changed if we spent more time in that kind of contemplation. Uh, I just really believe that, um, that our success as a church, our movement forward as a movement, comes from breaking this habit that the Bible is something we use to beat people up with. And that we see it as something that's trying to talk to us and share with us, impart in our hearts about the beauty of a God who loves us. So we come to Scripture as a truth to believe. We come to Scripture as a truth to contemplate. But ultimately, we have to understand that Scripture, all of Scripture, is pointing us to Jesus in some way. And if it's not pointing us to Jesus, if we're not seeing Jesus in the Scripture, we're not seeing Scripture correctly. We're not processing it correctly. We're not using it correctly. If we don't see it somehow pointing us to Him You know, there was this one time when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what this means is that we come to Jesus as the truth to believe. This means we come to Jesus as the truth to contemplate. The Bible is a unified story of all that has gone wrong in the world and all that God is doing through Jesus Christ to make all things right. The point of this is that the work has been done and is being done, and it's not being done by us initially. It's being done by God through Jesus. Salvation is not something that we attain. It's something that Jesus attained and gives to us freely. It's because Jesus is the one who is salvation. He is the one who accomplishes salvation. Christianity is not asking you to believe in a personality, but in a person. Christianity is not asking you to believe in a supposition, but a Savior. Christianity is not asking you to have faith in a belief. It's asking you to have faith in a being, in a person. For those of you who are familiar with the Apostles' Creed, the the opening line says, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. If you notice, if you're familiar at all with the Apostles' Creed, and I I keep wanting to say Apollo's Creed for some reason, I can't get that out of my head. That's a totally different creed. The Apostles' Creed It's inviting you to believe in who Jesus is first before it gets to anything that Jesus has done. It's saying your faith has to be in Him first before you get to everything that's being done. See, Christianity is inviting you to believe in Jesus, the person of Jesus. Christianity is not inviting us to put our faith in a doctrinal position. It's not demanding that we trust in a theological construct. The truth we contemplate, the truth we believe is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. It begins and ends as the Alpha and the Omega that Jesus Christ is the one in whom we have our faith. 
and no other doctrinal position that we could construct, that we could make up, that we could extract. The Bible is not calling us to believe in the veracity of our own beliefs or our own opinions. It's inviting us to place the full weight of who we are and who we want to be in Jesus Christ Himself. That it's His faith that is enough. (laughs) That it's His faithfulness that's enough. That it's not the strength of my faith. It's not the size of my faith. It's His faith, His faithfulness, who He is, and that He is for us. Salvation is not found in a concept or theory. Salvation is not found in a philosophy or a theology. Salvation is not found in a pattern, a system of belief or a doctrine. You should do this and you should do this and you should do that. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ His only Son, our Lord, is the truth the Bible is trying to convey to us. Because as Peter stood up and addressed a great crowd one day saying, There is no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. Robin Mark says, there is no other name by which men can be saved. There is no other name under heaven. There is rest for my soul and the wounded made whole and the captives set free and forgiven. Such love as I have ever known, I found in the grace that flowed to me in my unrighteousness. This is why my heart and soul and tongue confess, there is no other name. Let's pray. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit even speak in this moment to our hearts, that you convict us, that you draw us to you. And for for the person here this morning who is hearing your truth for the first time, Father, I pray that you would move. I pray that you would help each one of us come to Scripture of what you're trying to tell us about Jesus. Father, forgive us when we've made Scripture about our church, when we've made it about our way, when we've made it about our belief, when we've made it about all those things we've been trying to prove. We're sorry for that. Help us see Scripture as what you're doing through Jesus Christ to make all things right. We pray through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Would you stand as we share in this song together? You would like to receive the invitation of Jesus Christ. We invite you as our elders will be up front. If you need prayer, we invite you as well.